0: Good morning. The scripture reading today is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, you have laid your hand upon me. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. I hope this weekend finds you enjoying, well, an isolated weekend of not going to restaurants and not having family and friends over. (laughs) What a bit of a bummer of a Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks to the onset of a second wave of COVID, a weekend, which at least in a Hallmark card is supposed to be a weekend of celebrating with others, the beauty of this time of year and the harvest is less bright and less colorful of a time for many of us. For many of us, the heaviness of the pandemic is, a, is returning with the darkening of the skies. And while the colors of the leaves are as vibrant as ever for this time of year, the heaviness that many of us are feeling makes the colors seem more muted and faint. As if we are aware more than ever that the bright colors mean we are watching the death of the leaves. How's that for happy? (laughs) I've had the first two lines of the mamas and the papas song uh, going through my head, California Dreaming. You know the song, "All the leaves are brown and the sky is gray." I've had that in my head for like the last week, nonstop. However, unlike the song, I am not dreaming of being in California, and never mind anywhere south of the border. <laughs> in fact, I'm quite happy uh, to be in Canada and very thankful, actually, this Thanksgiving, for how great of a job Canada is doing overall in the pandemic <laughs> response. Even Toronto, in the grand scheme of things, is actually doing very well in in a global sense. While things are getting heavy again, we have it way more under control than many places in the world. And even that is a reminder uh, to be thankful for where we are, but also to be aware of of how hard life is for many uh, across the world. It is in darkening times like this that it is important To be reminded of our greatest reasons for thanksgiving and for gratitude. No matter what season of the year it is, no matter whether there is a full harvest or whether the harvest uh, is is rotted from early uh, frost. uh, No matter what season of the year, what season of our life we are in. Amidst the darkness that dwells around or within us, the God who formed us and who knows us is with us and is within us. And so regardless of what season we're in, we have great reason uh, for thanksgiving and for gratitude. We are in a week two of a series that we're calling What Lies Beneath. We are delving into the relationship between our spirituality and our emotional health. And along with the series, many of our life groups are also doing uh, a book and video series uh, based on the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Uh We're already a week in, uh, but if you are interested in joining a group, it might not be too late. Uh, please let us know. Uh, now, last Sunday, we spent uh, some time setting a foundation on which to build our series. That God created us to be whole. That wholeness is when various parts of our humanity are are integrated together, working together healthily so that we have healthy relationship within ourselves. Healthy relationship with others, with all of creation, and of course, healthy relationship with God. And therefore, Maturing in our emotional health will actually lead to deeper spiritual growth. And inversely, holistic spirituality will lead to emotional maturing. As we continue reflecting on these intricacies of the relationships, relationship between our emotional health and our relationship with God, a primary question that we must address is one of identity. The highly longed for, yet always elusive answer to the existential question, who am I? This question has perturbed me and eluded me for most of my life. Who am I? I mean, really, who am I? I know how I act sometimes, and I know what I think sometimes. I know what I do, and sometimes I even know why I do it. But are these things who I am? Are they who you are? Who am I? Who are you? And really, this is a question that no matter how much we soul search, the only one who truly knows the answer and the only one in whom we can truly find the answer is God. As Karen read for us, Psalm 139, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You are familiar with all my ways. God knows everything about us even our very our habits, the things that we do without thinking, the things we do that we aren't even aware of, God is familiar with them. He knows us deeper than we know ourselves. And of course, it isn't just that he sees and he knows everything from watching, like he's uh, got a big CCTV camera on us all the time, uh, but it's because he's uh, created us with beauty, and with intention. Verses 13 and 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. When you think of yourself, is your first thought that you are wonderfully made? I know it isn't my first thought. And to say I'm wonderfully made, I know that full well, would not actually be true for me. Because I don't know it full well in the very depth of my being. But this is something to consider. Imagine if we could see ourselves in this way. Imagine if we were whole enough, integrated enough to be able to look upon the fabric of who we are, not just kind of that idea of the way that our body, our physical body works, is, is a, a mysterious uh, wonder and miracle. There is that. But to look into the very fabric of the inward of who you are, of your heart, your mind, your soul. And to say that you are beautiful, that you are wonderful. And another question, of course, is, is it possible to see yourself through this lens without, of being wonderfully made, without being egotistic? Now, this, I believe, is where we really see this link between emotional well-being and spiritual formation. And namely, it comes through self-awareness. Entering deeper into oneself in order to discover God. Not because we are God, for we are not, of course, but because God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. As I mentioned briefly last week, self awareness has always been a key piece of holistic spirituality. All through the ages of Christianity and of Judaism, through prayerfully paying attention to your feelings, your desires, your heart's deepest cry, you then discover both where God is absent from them, but you also discover where God is amidst them. And more and more, you're able to live in and walk out God's presence in your deepest heart's cry. And as we know God more, And as we get to know ourselves more, we become integrated within ourselves. The broken pieces come more together. And we become integrated within ourselves, but also within our relationship with others. And by the work of God in us and with us, we actually become more and more truly and fully ourselves. Now, this, of course, is not to say that everything within us is beautiful, wonderful, or humbly reflective of God. Unfortunately, the reality is is that we are, as we spoke about last week, we are disintegrated. We are fractured within ourselves. And because of that, we are fractured from others, from creation, and from God. Even the person who wrote the psalm that Karen read for us today was an extremely disintegrated person. King David, he's called a man after God's own heart. Yet he himself was adulterous and murderous. At times, he reflected the heart of Jesus by showing compassion on his enemies. And other times, like in verses 19 to 22 of the psalm, he calls down hatred and death on others. Which something we know from Jesus isn't the heart of God. The reality for all of us, biblical writers included, is that we are all disintegrated. We are all fractured within ourselves. And this is what makes answering the question, who am I so hard? Different parts of ourselves, different voices in our heads and hearts, um, and kidneys, (laughs) because the word... um, the word that we see here—I just realized I missed my uh, note where I, I mentioned it—but uh, uh, the word, uh, the word for inner parts, created most my inmost being. That's actually the word for kidney. You created me in my kidneys, and the kidneys is a metaphor, uh, kind of like it's, to, it's a metaphor like the heart, which is to be kind of the center of our being, of our inner being. And so, while different parts of ourselves and our hearts war against each other, and it can be hard at times to tell which of these voices is God, which is our true self, and which is something else altogether. As the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' followers, whose writings are an important part of scriptures of the Bible, he famously said in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do do. <laughs> yeah, I said do do. Yeah. That's for all the toddlers who are still listening right now. <laughs> Paul here is referring to the godly desire within himself to do good, but with his sinful nature is warring against doing what is good. And while it is sin within us that causes us to be not who we or God want us to be or created us to be. To say that it is sin, we need to have a proper understanding of what sin is. Sin, as we mentioned last week, is not simply thou shall and thou shalt not. It isn't simply bad morals and rebellious behavior like most of us automatically our brains go to when we think about sin. Sin is the way we, along with all of creation, have been disintegrated. The unified, healthy whole that we were created to be is fractured and broken, is tarnished, fragmented. It misses the mark of what we were created to be. And the work of God, the work of love, is to reintegrate To bring back together that which is torn apart. Yes, it's behavior, but our behaviors come from the fractured disintegration that is within our very selves. And so the core of healing and holiness is not about the symptom, which is our actions, but about the cause, which is the disintegration that we have within ourselves, with each other, with creation, and of course, ultimately with God. Now, there are many metaphors in scripture and in uh, psychology and neuroscience that help us understand this disintegration, this fracturing and division within us that makes it hard to know who we truly are. One metaphor comes from Henry Nouwen. Uh, This is mentioned in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. For some reason, it's mentioned without proper reference to Henry Nallen Perhaps he just forgot that that's where he got it from. Um, and it is this idea that we often try to find our identity in one of three places, or two of three, or all three. I am what I do. I am what I have. I am what people think about me. Finding our identity in what we do... Whether it is our job, our role as a parent, a friend, a child, or even finding our identity in what we do to serve God, we measure our identity wrongly by what we are able to produce and how we are performing, which is not where our identity lies. Finding our identity in what we have, whether it is financially based like money or a house, or if it isn't our authority or power, we measure our identity wrongly by how much we gain or how much we lose. And finding our identity in what people think about us, we measure identity wrongly by outward appearances and our ability to put on false personas and our ability to convince people that we are something other than we are not, other than we are. And these, of course, lead to further inner disintegration. As no matter what we do, what we have, or what people think about us, we are God's beloved, made in his image and of great worth. And as we pursue these other identities, it tears us apart even more and more within ourselves. A second helpful metaphor, uh, which the book also talks about, is what is most often called the false and the true self. The premise is that we have within us a false self, a false self which is not really who we truly are, but who we think we are, and a true self which, of course, is who we truly are. And while this is a term from psychology, I think it is helpful in helping us to understand biblical picture of our identity. The true self is who we are created to be in Christ. The true self is the integrated, whole, holistic self without fracturing, confusion, or the temptation to be something else. The false self, on the other hand, is that part of ourselves, Well, it is not our true self, it has grown in us for a reason, but it causes us to see ourselves as something other than who we really are. For example, when we go through times of trauma, our false self actually helps to protect us. It's the part of our self that builds walls around our heart so that we are protected from further hurt. But in doing so, it also blocks us from truly knowing ourselves. And it, so while it protects us, in one sense, it fragments us from ourselves. Now, I believe I've told you this before, but when someone rejects me or makes me feel left out, I hear this voice in my head that says, I don't care. I don't want to be part of them anywhere. You know, I'm not what people think about me. I don't care what they think. But this is actually my false self because well, in the moment that voice helps me not to allow the rejection to hurt my heart, it's actually a lie that I don't care My true self does care and it does long for acceptance. This longing for acceptance is a godly desire that is within me, but my need to live it out through the acceptance of others in a superficial way is part of my false self. And it's also my false self that says, you actually don't care who cares about them. So while I might not feel hurt in that moment, it also fractures my inner being, separating me from my true self to avoid pain. And every time I listen to that protective but lying voice, I become more disintegrated. Are there places in your life where you can feel this tension within you? Where you have a knee-jerk reaction about something that feels like it makes you feel better in that moment? But if you were to pause and to reflect on it, you would realize it's not actually who you are. Another word for the false self is the imposter. Like in the online game Among Us, which I'm only now familiar with because I was just asked to put it on our devices in our home. Like the online game Among Us, the imposter is one for whom all appearances look like us but is actually only putting on an act and is in reality actually our enemy and working against us. My personal preference, however, for this idea is the term adaptive self and authentic self. When we call the part of ourselves a false self, it suggests that it is completely untrue. It suggests that it is not real. But yet this part of ourselves is very real. It is a very real part of ourselves, It is part of all of us, and therefore, while it may not be our true self, it is still a real part of who we are. But when we call it the adaptive self, we are reminded that it has served a role of adapting us to the harsh realities of life, yet it is not our authentic self, but something that is put on. Now, of course, the unifying factor of all of these is that within us, we are being pulled towards being someone besides who God made us to be. Outside voices are part of shaping that pull as we are wont to believe the lies we are told when something of the lie speaks to our broken desires within us. We receive as good advice things that only serve to pull us down, to tear us apart and fracture us. You'd be more lovable if you hid this part of yourself from others. You'd be embraced more if you lost some pounds or wore more makeup. You'd be happier if you made more money. You'd enjoy life more if you were accepted more. So mold yourself to societal norms. You'd be a better parent, friend, spouse, child if you just weren't you. If you just were more like this or like that. And this wisdom does come from outside of us. But it only has power when it connects to something inside of us. If I was healthily secure in how I am as a husband, the wisdom that says what Monica really needs is someone else, it wouldn't have any power over me if I was healthily secure. But when it speaks to something within me, when it speaks to my false self, my adaptive self, my temptation to find my identity in what I have, what I do, or what people think about it, think about me, then it now has power to shape what I believe about myself and about my place in the world and in God's kingdom. And it fragments us. It disintegrates us. We are being pulled within ourselves to be something besides who God made us to be. And so what do we do about it? For one, we must turn to Jesus, the one who formed us in our mother's womb, the one for whom nothing of who we are is hidden, wants to connect us to our true self, to heal the broken, tarnished parts of ourselves, redeeming the past, silencing the lying voice of the false adaptive self, the imposter within us. And as we turn to Jesus, we must be open to looking inwardly through introspection. For through the work of self-awareness, the Spirit of God can bring healing and self-acceptance. Brennan Manning, in his book, Abba's Child, writes this. I maintain that morbid introspection is not only necessary, but also indispensable for spiritual growth. The imposter must be called out of hiding. Accepted and embraced. He is an integral part of my total self. Whatever is denied cannot be healed. The honesty and willingness to stare down the false self dynamites the steel trap door of self-deception. Whatever is denied cannot be healed. This is part of why I think the term adaptive self is a more helpful way of thinking about this. For when we think of this part of ourselves as false, on some level we are denying that it is real. So let's not deny that the imposter lives within us, but let's call it out of hiding so that it can be healed in the light of God. Verse 11 If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Here's the thing about our hearts. Even when we feel like we don't really know the answer to the question, who am I? Even when we feel that our true authentic self is hidden from us in the dark shadowed places of our hearts, The darkness is as light to God. God knows, God sees, God is there, present, loving, enlightening. Last week I mentioned how in Western Christianity we are unbiblically and unhealthily shaped by the mathematician's equation, I think, therefore I am. But I like this idea. It comes from James Olthius, who says, Instead of, I think, therefore I am, it is rather, I was loved, therefore I am. This is where we find our true identity. This is where we find the answer of, who am I? I was loved, therefore I am. Which also means, I love Therefore, I am. I'd like to end with sharing uh, what Jesuit, Jesuit priest James Martin uh, says to the question of how do you move towards becoming who you are. He has a few uh, kind of things he suggests. First, he suggests that we remember that God loves you. And I think no matter what, this is, this is the big piece to understanding and, and coming to know ourselves God loves you. You are loved, therefore you are. You were wonderfully made by God and you are God's beloved child. Second, realize that God loves you as an individual, not simply in the abstract. God's love is a personal love for you, for the real you, for the authentic you. Third, Accept your desires, skills, and talents as things given to you by God for your happiness and for others. Don't reject them. Don't belittle them, but accept them and see them through the light of God in Christ. Where they come from. Even the parts of them that seem a little off, a little twisted, a little fractured, They come from God, and so discover, accept and discover where they are found in Christ. Fourth, avoid the temptation to compare yourself to others and denigrate or undervalue yourself. Fifth, move away from actions that are sinful or that keep you from being compassionate, loving, and free. And remember, to say things that are sinful is these are things that disintegrate you from yourself, from others, and from God. Sixth, trust that God will keep... Sorry, sixth, trust that God will help you because God desires for you to become who you are meant to be. And seventh recognize that the process of becoming the person you are meant to be is a long process, and it can take time. That's his words, it can take time. My words is it will take the rest of our earthly life time. So be patient. As James Martin, he had a friend that said to him, and I'm going to uh, end with this, I love this quote. He said, you got to be who you is and not who you ain't. Because if you, if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. And that ain't good. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. God, you created us in our inmost being. You know who we are and who we aren't, even when we don't. You know our very nature, the depths of our hearts, and you love us deeply. Help us, God, to be the people you've created us to be. Putting to death in us what needs to die. Embracing within us uh, even that adaptive self. Help us to, to acknowledge and to accept this part of ourselves as having served a purpose. But holding up to you to be healed, to be shrunk down so that the true, authentic self, the image of God that you have created within us can grow, can be released, and can bear fruit in the world. Allow the light of your healing to shine on the places of woundedness and suffering within us. And above all, reveal to us who you are. Reveal to us who we are, that we may love you with our whole being. And therefore, we may love others, love creation, and love ourselves.
0: Amen.